2: May the 4th be with you. Who is that masked man?
0: Avengers, assemble! Good afternoon, and thanks for tuning in to the Fantastic Forum. I'm Ulysses E. Campbell, and for the next hour, we're going to excite, entertain, elucidate, and educate you with news, information, and exciting discussion about your favorite geeks, this is Fantastic Forum. First, some genre related news before we get to today's discussion. Congratulations to creator Keith Knight. Hulu has offered a, well, excuse me, offered, uh, ordered a pilot for a comedy television series based on the artist's life and work. Woke will star Lamorne Morris, who you may know as Winston on The New Girl. The series follows Keith, an African American cartoonist living in San Francisco who's finally on the cusp of mainstream success when an unexpected incident changes everything. So uh, Knight co-wrote the project with Marshall Todd who wrote the movie Barbershop. And Knight and Todd will serve as executive producers along with Will Gluck and Richie Swartz via Olive Bridge Entertainment and Eric Christian Olsen and Katie Shoemaker for Cloud9 Productions. Mo Marable will direct the pilot. Keith Knight is an award-winning comics creator whose work includes autobiographical strips like The K Chronicles and The Nightlife. His cartoons have appeared in several national publications and tackle social, racial, and class issues as well as poking fun at uh, the minutiae of living urban. So pictures continue to dribble out from the upcoming CW crossover between its various Arrowverse series. I should say so-called Arrowverse series. The latest is a shot of LaMonica Garrett as the Monitor. Of course, the Monitor is a major player in DC's initial Crisis on Infinite Earths miniseries. His presence indicates that there will be big things happening as part of the crossover, which is scheduled to air in December. You can see a picture on the Fantastic Forum Facebook page at Facebook.com backslash Fantastic Forum. And while you're there, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. We love to be liked and we like to be followed. A new musical stage production based on the 1933 movie King Kong. Yes, you heard it right, King Kong, opened this week on Broadway. The centerpiece of the show is a 20-foot-tall, 2,400-pound puppet that uh, takes 10 people to operate. The creature was designed by Sonny Tilders and is described as a sophisticated hybrid of old and new style puppetry. It's made of steel, styrofoam and air-powered bags resembling resembling muscles. It's all held up by a 17-ton crane that's above the stage. Whether the show has longevity like Dracula or is short-lived like Rocky the Musical remains to be seen. Human stars... William Morris, Chris, Christiani Pitts—excuse me—perform uh, opposite the giant marionette. Uh, the show is directed and choreographed by Drew McConney. And I think it's also worthy to note that this Christiani Pitts happens to be an African American woman uh, playing blonde-haired um, Fay Ray. Uh, I forget the real name of the character. All right. So that's interesting. Um, we were saddened to learn of the passing of producer Raymond Chow who died on November 2nd. Chow, of course, was the founder of Golden Harvest movie productions and is credited with having launched the martial arts genre. He was 91. And today in Waldorf, Maryland, is the Southern Maryland Comic Con at the Capitol Clubhouse. You've got another hour or so to get there. The show embraces all aspects of geekdom and pop culture. Expect a wide assortment of comic books, collectibles, toys, games, original art, cosplay, and more. Special events include costume contests, panelists, gaming, and a whole lot of activities for kids, 10 and under get in free. For more information, visit southernmarylandcomiccon.com. So, on today's show, uh, we are talking about uh, a very interesting phenomena known as retconning. And uh, it involves uh, basically pretending that stuff that never happened before actually happen somewhere along the way. So um, I am fortunate enough to be joined by my guests, Han Pan. Uh, We have Brandon Troy and uh, the illustrious Julian Lytle. Uh, Everybody welcome to the show. Illustrious,
1: wow,
2: okay, wow.
1: (laughs) Really putting out the red carpet. (laughs) Illustrious, I love it.
3: What's up, y'all? How's
2: it going? Hey, it's good to be here.
0: Yeah. Alright, so uh, you heard that intro And of course, uh, retconning uh, and, and in fact, the reason that you all Are actually on the show Is because uh, You, each of you Demonstrated a real intense Interest in this <laughs> <Yes>. particular subject
3: <laughs> Was I intense?
0: <laughs> You're <laughs> always intense, Julian <laughs> Put that
2: look on your face, of course like The illustrious head. Julian We have, have to say that, the illustrious <laughs> right, It's a title now
0: Uh, Okay. All right. Well, look, um, each of you, in fact, uh, Julian, why don't you start? Uh, Why was it that you were interested in this particular subject?
3: Oh, I guess I just joined in because I didn't know how many, like, uh, comic book people you were going to have on the show that, like, really, like, read, like, a lot, a lot, a lot of continuity that's been, like, rewritten, redone, rebooted. (laughs) Changed over, (laughs) Ben and Jerry, as as Uh, you've been quoted to say, yeah, all the time. Like, (laughs) I'm not trying to say I I I, I've read too many comics, and I'm I'm pretty open to all of it and making it all make sense. You know, so I was like, hey, you know, you might need that that assist. You know,
1: There, there you go, there you go.
0: All right, Brandon, what about you?
1: Well. The passion comes from what's been done in movies lately and, gosh, what are we saying lately? It's been done for quite a while now. Um, And how it's spawned other things, which I I don't think you've even touched on, which is another uh, sub-genre that's kind of... um, been created from uh, reboots which is the requel which I would love to the talk requel. which
2: I would love mm. to talk further about but <laughs> yeah
0: okay and Han
2: so when I think of reboots, I think generally of a couple of things. Number one, I think of people at Comic-Con screaming about how much they hate, uh, sorry, not reboots, retconning. Uh, number one, how much they hate retconning and how it's changing everything, and I think that's really funny. Um, but number two, I tend to think of retconning as sort of being related to three different concepts. One of them, yes, is the reboot, which has already been mentioned, and the requal. Um, But the other two for me is either uh, information about past events or additional information in order to explain things and help make sense of uh, where things have been before and where they're going in the future. Or um, when things are changed for the sake of either just changing them because they can or trying to create more content and not acknowledging that the content needs to fit in the existing universe. and that, I think, makes the retcons, that makes people really upset. So I tend to think of them as being those, those two primary things where you're either um, replacing things that have happened or re-explaining things that have happened just for the sake of making new content and not trying hard enough to integrate the content in the existing universe or actually explaining things in a way that makes sense and makes the, the universe more harmonious.
0: That was a really great explanation (laughs) of all of this explanation and overview. Wow. Do you want to host the show? (laughs) No. All right. Okay. Well, look, um, can you give us uh, a particular example of, um, well, uh, one or all of those where it has uh, bothered you or you felt it's been done well?
2: Yes. I have a list. (laughs) I'm so excited. (laughs) Bring it, girl. Bring it. So for... The number one thing that I think of when I think of a retcon that has actually been done well and that I think is entertaining is actually the Star Trek Klingons. So I started watching Star Trek in the original series. You know, they look pretty much like humans. The the only difference is the hair was a little bit puffier and they were a lot more bombastic. But then, you know, you start into the next generation and you have Worf, who has the forehead ridges. And even through the next generation, you see his forehead ridges change and become more prominent and more noticeable. And when an episode happens where you where it's referenced that uh, Klingons had used to have smooth foreheads Worf makes a joke something along the lines of it's a long story we don't talk about it to outsiders but then you get into Enterprise which I actually love as a series and it is like the whole I, I get the feeling sorry I'm going to say this up front I get the feeling we're going to be talking about a lot of spoilers spoiler alert
0: hey alright then does it spoiler alert there may be things that you don't know uh, and you're gonna find out but it's, it's all okay trust me All
2: right. Uh, so it's actually explained that you know the klingons had this horrible disease and the doctor from the uh, the ship on the NXO-1 actually helped the Klingons find a um, a resolution for their disease, but the impact was that for a couple of generations they would have smooth foreheads. You know, it affected their DNA for a couple generations before they were able to uh, to fix it back, so to speak. Uh, and I thought that that was one that you know, it was a question that the fandom always had, and they came up with a totally in character and totally believable way to solve the problem without really changing the existing universe that much. You know, it didn't make long term ramifications or make Make more questions. I thought it answered the question very well and that made a lot of sense. Um, for an example of one that really bothers me that I think is just for the sake of making more money and making more content is basically the entire Pokemon universe. <laughs> right? Yeah. That's so fair. Yeah. yeah. So you know, I'm a little old. I play I watched Pokemon when it first came out and I had my I still have my Pokemon Red and Pokemon Yellow and I love those things. And you know, there are 151 Pokemon. I don't know what anyone else is talking about. When Togepi <laughs> came out it was this big deal of, oh my gosh, look, there's a mysterious Pokemon. And it's not just through the series of where in different seasons all of a sudden there's more Pokemon and everyone's like oh yeah that's normal but it's things like episodes with Santa Claus and the in the first season he had a ponytail leading his sleigh because there were no reindeer like Uh, Pokemon but then in later episodes there was a different Pokemon that's a reindeer type Pokemon Um, the fact that Pikachu has a pre-evolution whereas in one of the first season episodes there was a whole Pikachu village and you saw baby Pikachus not Pichus Uh, and to me that (laughs) entire thing was it was literally let's make more content let's sell more uh, video games let's sell more trading cards let's just make this thing bigger without a real reason that fit into the universe and that's an example of one that really bothered me.
0: Wow, <laughs> that's that's a good one. Particularly, I like the one with the Klingons, though, because that was one where it kind of worked, you know. And and that that really didn't bother me. I, mean, I got to say, uh, disclaimer: uh, I, I usually retconning bothers the hell out of me. I mean, especially in fact, one of the biggest examples of that was the Sentry. You know you all know about the century, right? Well, okay for anybody who doesn't know about the century uh, Several years ago guys probably more than several years ago now, but it's Marvel 20 c- 20 almost old. 20. Oh <laughs> ah, Yikes, I'm old all right, so yeah the um, Marvel comics claimed that oh my goodness We've discovered this new stuff that Jack Kirby and Stanley created before the fantastic four It was the very first Marvel superhero the century and Robbie Reynolds had found, like, the professor's secret formula. Uh, it was a formula where, like, uh, a mil- the, the power of a million exploding suns. First it was 5,000 <laughs>
3: exploding suns. And
0: every time it got larger and larger and larger. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. So, and and the century, and then all of a sudden, here was this guy, and they were like sort of writing him into the backstory of Marvel before they, and they did ultimately admit that it was all a hoax, though, right, Julie?
3: After the after the Bitty series came out, mm, like, oh, it yeah. was basically all promotional material. It was it was it was the post bankruptcy Joe Casada okay. becoming editor in chief, Bill James as the president, them doing a lot of things along with Marvel and and Ultimate in the Ultimate Universe and things like that. Um, So yeah, that and then if you lead into the century, there is the entire idea of the Ultimate Universe, which is like, hey, the Marvel Universe is getting long in the tooth. Let's re-envision how these characters would start if they started now in the year 2000 versus 1964, which you could think have really long-lasting effects because if you look at the Marvel Cinematic Universe as it is now, it's basically... A, a milkshake version of the Marvel Universe proper and the Ultimate Universe.
0: Mm-hmm. You can make a case for that. Now, um, a, a, an example of it, uh, sort of taking a page from Han's book that I thought was done well, um, even though I am because I'm, I'm a purist of sorts. <laughs> and, um, you know, but I realized that even the DC Universe that I grew up with was a reboot. You know, because yeah. if you if you weren't down with uh, Jay Garrick Flash with the Mercury helmet, then you know you weren't <laughs> down with the original. So, uh, but a- an instance where I thought uh, that this stuff was done well, um, was uh, Iron Man, Iron Man's origin. So originally, Iron Man had been injured in Vietnam. Because that was the war at the time, you know, and uh, as time went on and uh, people got older and conflicts changed and all that, uh, they realized that in order to keep that current, they were going to have to update that. And so um, even because and it's funny because my uh, my cousin. You know who is even more of a purist than I. He got really mad when he saw uh, the movie Iron Man, and he was like, "Well, it wasn't Afghanistan; it was Vietnam. They changed it for the movie." I said, "No, they didn't change it for the movie. They changed it in the comic books before the movie." Yeah. Yeah. You know, just trying to keep that updated.
2: Now, does that qualify as a retcon or a reboot, or are we going to be kind of straddling this line this whole time because like, they're Marvel, so related?
3: Marvel comic books never does hard reboots; they <laughs> only do retcons. Uh. They will never, going by their words, reboot the Marvel Universe versus DC, which is kind of on the range of ever since Ace 85, will hard reboot the universe every 10 years.
2: Which I think that's, I mean, that's there's a conversation to be had there in terms of which is better. Is it better to go back and reboot these things or is it better to, uh, to just retcon and act like it was just that way the whole time from the very beginning?
0: Hmm. Any thoughts on that, Brandon? You got thoughts?
2: Um.
1: Pretty much everything what people have already mentioned before, it's, it, I'm pretty, uh, you know, pretty much in an agreement with. The thing that's that's funny is, you know, we're talking about uh, com or well, comics and various in uh, in various media, and in thinking about the ones that have worked for me, the one, the only one that I can think of offhand, and I'm sure others are going to come to mind, but the one that works for offhand for me is Homecoming, as it stands. Um, in terms of you know the Spider-Man films, don't get me wrong, like the Raimi films, I enjoy uh, quite a bit, but uh, in terms of the duality between Peter Parker and Spider-Man you know, the best interpretation for me has been um, Homecoming. And obviously there there are tons and tons. I don't think we have enough time on the show (laughs) for the ones that really um, reboots in general that don't work for me. I can think of, uh, gosh... uh, um, when I'm thinking of some some horror films that have that they've uh, attempted to reboot, um, I'm gonna think of uh, Rob Zombie's Halloween um, franchise. Uh, <laughs> no shade. Uh, <laughs> let me see. and they're, they're, yeah, they' they're just numerous that I can think of offhand in terms of reboots where it's clear that in um, hand you were uh, you were mentioning this where the intention was more of a monetary, um, incentive versus, you know, for the sake of of the actual story itself.
0: Hey, by the way, you're listening to Fantastic Forum on WERA ninety six point seven FM. I'm Ulysses Z. Campbell. We're joined by Handpan, Brandon Troy. And since I referred to him as the illustrious, we're going to stick with that. The illustrious Julian Lytle. We're talking about retcons. Well, a little bit about reboots. And um, Han uh, had mentioned uh, sort of about the distinctions between the two and uh, sort of divergences. But um, somebody down there was getting ready to say something.
3: Oh, um, to answer uh, Han's question, I the older I get, the more I like hard reboots. Hmm. Because within uh some of this media with a hard reboot, it lets the characters live and let each generation have their own interpretation of the characters yeah and um stuff with in regards to the d c universe uh there's there's at least five distinct superman characters right mm. there's the original superman there's the uh the classic Silver Age Superman of the, of the 50s and the 60s. Then there's like that nice, you know, Chris Reeve Superman. Then you go into Ooh. 80s, 90s Superman, which is for a lot of people the way they actually think about Superman. That's, that encompasses uh, Lois and Clark on TV, the cartoon that was on the WB, um, most of the comics, The Death of Superman. That was a large portion of Superman. Now we kind of got uh, a, you know... We're still in a weird period for Superman, so eventually it'll, he'll change again, just like Batman has changed each each times. Versus Spider-Man, which you're supposed to kind of think like, yo, the guy that you read in '62, the kid, is still that same guy <laughs> in 2018. Like all those, like him wearing the sweater vest, and yeah. it's also the same guy with the the striped polo shirt, and then also, like. All this stuff happened, and there was no change. It was he went through all of it somehow.
2: So I tend to agree that it's a little easier to let the characters exist as they are in today's world, and to kind of grow up with each successive generation when you have hard reboots. But what really struck me, I mean, the the biggest comic reboot that has been a part of my adult geek life, let's say, uh, has was the new 52 in terms of like hard reboots and what was difficult for me with that one was the fact that there were still stories that were midstream and they just cut off like a guillotine they made a mistake i think that was a mistake i think you you owe something to the characters to continue out a storyline or at least bring it to a point where it's a little bit wrapped up rather than leaving things in this weird place and then suddenly next month it's nothing ever happened i i i I struggle a little bit with the hard reboot that doesn't let things resolve before it starts. Yeah,
3: it was a mistake. There's a lot of inside baseball with that, but it was there was a lot of, there's a there's a lot of factors involved with that. But it was the new fifty two, they made some logistical mistakes. <laughs> versus say rebirth, which happened almost basically two years ago, in which they're choosing to clean up those mistakes, which has been pretty successful for them. You know.
1: And I was gonna say to comment further, thinking back on what you were saying, Julian, and what um what you were saying, would you say that's what your feelings are and maybe I can actually can address it to uh, uh, both of you, would you say those are your feelings with comics because in the way that you're explaining it um, it it kind of uh, toes the line between what I picture as like a remake what what we think of with remakes and with reboots because for me and if I'm You know uh, branching off to to like film or TV for me like a remake would be something where you know something has been around for years and it's you know uh, it's brought back and modernized for you know a brand new audience versus perhaps a reboot where you know, it may have been within that same decade and, you know, it's just like you were saying, Yuli uh, just scrapped completely in, in almost, you know, the expectations that the audience is supposed to completely have it erased from their mind and, and you know, take the new, the new lore as, as gospel.
2: So I have some very passionate feelings about remakes, um, and I think a lot of that is tied to the whole concept of, the, of uh, the value of nostalgia to people who grew up in the 90s and 2000s. There's theories that um, because the, the rate of change in the 90s and 2000s and technological development has so, been so much faster than it ever has before, uh, are the generations that grew up at, during that time period have an abnormally strong connection to no- nostalgia because that was pre these feelings of insecurity you know, it was, you know, a large part of it was pre 9 11. A large part of it was pre um, the recession in the 2008 fall. A large part of it was was just before the dot com bust. So a lot, for a lot of people, it was kind of like the safer time. And so there's this really hard attachment to, to media in particular, but also things like, you know, people love their Walkmans and things like that when they come back. Uh, Tamagotchi is coming back and everyone's real excited about that. But the, um, there, I am a huge Sailor Moon fan. Sailor Moon started in the the late 80s in Japan. It was in the 90s in America. It was on WB. I watched it at 6 o'clock every morning. Um, And they, uh, for the 20th anniversary of Sailor Moon, they remade it into something called Sailor Moon Crystal. And I hate it. And a lot of fans are really... um, have strong feelings about it because of the animation quality there were questions about the quality of the animation and i mean questions of animation quality aside it was prettier you know it was more modern um a lot of my anime preferences are probably influenced by the original sailor moon but that aside entirely i was just watching the same exact show all the episodes were basically exactly the same now you know they they went they based it more off the manga than the anime and so it was it was less, you know, you can't necessarily match up uh, uh, an anime episode from the old f- series to Crystal, but you can uh, you can match it up to the manga. And to me, it's just so boring. The only things that changed were, it's not a floppy disk that she uses, it's a CD you know, and suddenly that's that's supposed to be something new and modern that makes me spend a whole lot of money on it. And I just couldn't I, I couldn't get behind it because I felt like I was watching no new content and I felt like it was um, acting as though the old content didn't exist. And this was to, supposed to replace it when to me the old content was so good as it was.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, I agree with that too, but I guess one one thing that I will say is jumping off of what you said with, with anime, another anime that comes to mind where which people Z. are very, <laughs> thank you, <laughs> people are very fac- <laughs> passionate about <laughs> Dragon Ball Z, Dragon I love, I, I, no, no, no. I, uh, I'm oh, outside well, of you, well, maybe Julian, Dragon
2: Ball, Dragon Ball Z, Z Dragon, Dragon
1: Ball Z. GT, mm. Dragon let's not Ball forget, Hi. GT don't count. I know, I know, (laughs) but I'm just saying, like, you know, you dedicate, these are cartoons, like many of you guys here, you know, you grew up watching and, you know, you dedicate hours, years of your life, you know, following these stories and then, (laughs) and then, you know, just to find out that, oh, yeah, this doesn't count or this, this isn't, you know, isn't a part of, you know, the, the, uh, 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 the lore or the, or the story, um, you know, it was a dream. Which which is a bummer because like gosh with the the recent release that they have coming out now with Brawley where Brawley is such an awesome story and the one that exists already was awesome but you know it's being rebooted to to fit within what they've already established so it's kind of a a bummer to you know have that there where you know you you have something that you're so passionate about just to kind of have it you know, stomped on, and I I don't want to say that. Stomp's too strong a word, I guess. But just to...
2: It feels like it's being given up on.
1: Exactly. And I mean, there are elements even of GT, and I know, I realize it doesn't count, but (laughs) there are elements of that that are okay. I mean, some things they introduce, and I know I'm probably gonna get a lot of flack for that, but I don't care. But (laughs) there are elements of that that are okay, even though I understand that that it was something that, that the creator wasn't, you know, down with,
3: Julian. I guess when we get into the um see, whole, the manga anime thing I think gets tricky because uh sometimes the main audience isn't isn't us. Mm. And let's say with like Sailor Moon Crystal, I didn't I didn't rewatch it, but I've noticed it seems like every ten years they do something. So like the previous anniversary before that one, I watched a live action show, Pretty Soldier, Sailor Moon. <gasps> I love- Peaches. And I thought that was like a um, a really interesting way to celebrate mm-hmm. the ten year um, anniversary of Sailor Moon in a different type of way because mm-hmm. there's a point where it's nothing like the manga or the anime. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and,
2: but they went somewhere new with it. In a way, it was its own sort of like reboot, retcon, entity, universe off on on the side. It it stood alone. Yeah, I th- and they went. They did something different.
3: I think that show was more for nostalgia and Crystal was more for reintroducing Sailor Moon itself to an actual new generation that nostalgic people get pulled along with um
2: see i can't see newcomers watching the first few episodes i mean the first whole season of Crystal and being able to get through it and and stay engaged in it a, a lot of probably 70% of that part of my opinion has to do with problems with the animation, frankly, with with either the literally the proportions of faces and the fact that their wrists are about the, sh- the size of my pinky and B, uh, the fact that generally you didn't actually see characters moving on screen. You just kind of saw hair waving or mouths flapping. That's kind of how no anime is now, I action. would say. I
3: would, I would say that's a problem with anime. Anime production in... in I In think we're watching era.
2: very, very different anime.
3: Oh, I, I, or <laughs> I, I have a very, very... I, I, I'm not the biggest new anime fan oh. of the last... Ten to fifteen years. I'm kind of salty and a snob. <laughs> I'm like Ulysses with uh, with reboots and oh, and yeah, continuity.
0: I, I well I, and I'm a lot worse with the anime. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, Space Pirate Captain Harlock is new oh. anime. <laughs> you know, I mean, what I know is Gigantor and uh, Speed. Excuse me, Mach Go 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 and T- Tetsujin Twenty Eight. Sorry. You know, anyway, look. Uh, That musical cue means that it is time for us to take a short break. Of course, Fantastic Forum comes to you via WERA, 96.7 FM in Arlington. We are a community radio station. That means, among other things, that we are non-commercial. We rely on the ongoing generosity of our underwriters, our sponsors, and listeners like you for the totality of the operation of the radio station. And we'd very much like for you to consider becoming an underwriter of the content of the station or possibly, dare I suggest, even a sponsor of one or more of the individual programs found here on. You can visit the website at FM to find out more about us. But right now, we're going to step aside for a moment to acknowledge the invaluable contribution of those underwriters. We're also going to promote several of the other WERA programs that are coming up later tonight. And uh, I'll be back with more of this scintillating conversation on retconning excuse me that's not all folks i'll be back with more of this scintillating conversation on retconning right after this back on the Fantastic Forum here on WERA 96.7 FM Radio Arlington. I'm Ulysses E. Campbell. I'm joined in studio this week by Han Pan, Brandon Troy, and the ever-continuing, illustrious Julian Lytle. And we are talking... Uh, retcons. Actually, you know, um, uh, Han posed, well, it wasn't so much a question, it was sort of an observation. And I had intended to talk mainly about uh, retconning, but I don't think you can talk about retconning without sort of talking a little bit about reboots, too. I mean, the the two phenomena are sort of inexorably intertwined, um, you know, because so frequently a reboot involves a good deal of retconning. You know, like take, for example, the recent um, J. J. Abrams reboot of Star Trek. Now, they didn't just reboot Star Trek, they retconned it, because Star Trek originally, you didn't have Chekhov, who came on the ship until the second season. You started out there with Chekhov. Um, you know, they actually... Uh, they, anytime you change some stuff, I mean, I, I'm like, oh wait, no, that's retcon. I mean, the ship... Uh, originally was constructed in space. Well, it, excuse me, the, the the components were constructed on Earth. The ship was assembled in space, all right? They had the whole deal put together on the planet Earth. And, you know, there were some other issues like that. I mean, well, also these sort of retconning in terms of the relationship between Spock and Lieutenant Uhura, which I was not a fan of, I gotta tell you. What? And you had... Oh, this is fire. Oh, wait, oh. No! Ha- Han ha- has some thoughts. fire.
2: <laughs> so, I believe that J.J. Abrams has no idea what Vulcans are. Because if you know really anything, and truly, frankly, he said he doesn't know anything about Star Trek, and when he took over yeah. it, he didn't really care to catch up, and that just makes me mad. Uh, but, okay, so if you know anything about Star Trek, Spock is my favorite character from the original series and I think what's really interesting when you watch the original series episodes that focus on Spock is there's always this really deep struggle to maintain, for lack of a better word, a sense of decorum. That is particular to the Vulcans, right? When you th- when you hear about the Vulcans or when you think about the Vulcans, people think, you know, oh, they're very logical. And with J.J. Abrams come about, he said, and they have no emotions. They are very logical and they have no emotions, which could not be further from the truth. When the truth of the matter is that Vulcans feel emotions, not only the same emotions that humans do, but at such enormously higher levels of intensity that the only way they became a society that was able to have any sort of function and order was for the development of this cultural and societal um, belief in the importance of logic. And so they spend their formative years learning how to control their emotions and learning how to, you know, use logic as the as the driver of everything that they do because if Vulcans succumb to their emotions, they become basically nonsensical, nonsensical. And when JJ Abrams came in, he treated that that whole concept as though it didn't exist and i mean we're not talking about a retcon in terms of we're re-explaining a culture here you know spock got caught up in a black hole and ended up creating another alternate universe right so it's it's not like you're changing the basis of an entire species of creatures and yet jj abrams treated Spock as a character that way and used the whole relationship with Uhura, which number one was totally forced number two totally unnecessary um, he used it as though as, as a way to say look Spock gets in touch with his human side and feels emotions and I just felt that it was so trite and unnecessary and cheapened Vulcans as a race and Spock as a complex character on his own
3: Oh, I oh I I get you, but I, see when I watched that movie once I saw the entire um. Once I I got it, it was an alternate timeline, basically another universe. I was like, I'm anymore. good, because to me I'm, that means I'm using my DC Comics brain. I'm like, oh this isn't this isn't Earth One, spot This is a whole this is this is like Earth Four, spot I don't even have to. Oh he no he different. I don't, I don't I'm waving my hands. I'm good. I'm chill. Uh, see, Cause I still got original. And that's the weird thing about those first two movies. Original have... Spock is sitting right there. Like, oh, <laughs> but oh I mean, you the still thing the is, same
2: B he, They have the same memories up until that point in time. They are the same person up until that point in time. So it's not like it's the, the new 52 or the, the whatever hard reboot where these characters could have totally different backgrounds that we haven't seen before. They literally are the same person up until the moment where Spock shows up in the new universe, you know? And it's, it's,
3: I know uh, it, it.
2: and I, I think the thing that made me mad is that I think they used it as a way to say hey look girls will come watch now <laughs> they didn't need it
3: I think, they, I think they did it for the Star Wars fans That's <laughs> what they, that whole movie was for the Star Wars people
2: JJ uh, Abrams is it's a Star, Star, Star Wars, Wars guy yeah. he said it from the beginning he was not a Star Trek fan not into Star Trek and so yeah uh, colloquially my friends and I refer to it as his uh, his tryout for the Star Wars movie
0: yeah, I, I tell you, that really bothered me. And in fact, I, I didn't have this queued up, but, you uh, know, Han, we're going to give you a <laughs> round of applause on account of that uh, commentary on uh, Abrams, because that re- regrettably, he should not, he was an exceptionally poor choice to have uh, done the Star Trek movies. But. As we have seen, hey, you make some money doing something, and all of a sudden, hey you're you're the expert. You know, it's like Chris Nolan now with the DC movie. movies. Yeah, you know, like <laughs> oh, hey, you make some money, and all of a sudden, wait, well, wait, 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 wait. I <laughs> so, <even> involved <laughs> in those movies. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, look, you and I disagree. We'll just have to agree to disagree because I, you know, I none of those movies. I mean, and but again, if you take them as oh, that's the Batman of like Earth 27, I can handle it. You know? Is. but yeah well exactly
3: whatever number they they, they designate for history films yeah
0: exactly but you know but it is certainly not the Batman that I know from the comic and I would say
3: which Batman is that depending on the right about the (laughs) same I was just about to
0: say (laughs) that he just read my mind
1: that's my problem with the which writing which
2: year (laughs) that's my problem with that
3: entire argument it's like nah fam I read all those same Batman comics and Detective Comics Batman and Batman Miller Batman in the middle of the same month is not this, is not written the same way, yeah. so um, I'm even right now. Like I prefer the Batman and Batman Detective Comics Batman. Eh, he's all right. He's not real. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right, so you're talking about the Tom, or at least now the Tom King Batman. Yeah, is the Batman. Okay,
3: but I didn't right. really care really. for the Snyder Batman. Really, it's not my bat It's not my. It's not my bat. I like Morrison Batman. Morrison Batman, and King's Batman are two
0: completely different Batman. You know, you you are talking about something that I hadn't considered before, but of course, it, particularly in terms of the comic books, and, it, and, and this was one thing that used to drive me nuts with the comic books, because somebody would have a run on the comics, and then whatever uh, artist and writer team or the writer, his time would be up, and it'd be like next issue, a new beginning. And I'm like,
2: <laughs> no. The how many new beginnings is, can you have? Uh, yeah, well,
0: exactly. And it was like a new beginning. And then the run started to be shorter and shorter in terms of how long they were booking these guys on a particular book. Not to later, where, though. Yeah, well, yeah.
3: Getting, at least with Batman, make a, Morrison was on for like six, seven years. Snyder was on for like a good five.
0: Yeah.
3: Mm-hmm. Tom is like, he's like, 100 (laughs) and going strong and we we only had like issue 56 so it's like oh we got a while to
0: go yeah well at least now but a character like Batman who is arguably DC's most popular character he's gonna get the mainstream treatment you know versus uh, Buona Beast or you know Swamp Thing or somebody else you know who isn't uh, as well recognized in fact what I've noticed on the um, because I've been watching that Titans thing on uh, this oh you don't like Titans? <laughs> hey, oh, hey it was, let's keep
3: it playing. Uh, hey, okay, you, you hey, watch okay. the show. Right. You okay. enjoying
0: yourself, right? Yeah, it's a, it's cool. Anyway, That's look, I mean, cool. number number four <laughs> wasn't that <laughs> good. There <laughs> <bad. laughs> But, um, you know, on the little, uh, you know, sort of uh, fanfare promo thing that they do to introduce, you know, it's sort of like DC Comics, you know, Mm -hmm. and Batman is the first character they show, where traditionally it's sort of been Superman, even though when they show, you know, like the wide shot of all of them standing there, Superman is in the front, Uh Batman is the first one that they actually show, and, um, you know, now (laughs) I... (laughs) about for well, presidents to represent me well yeah but that's not the way it always was and the whole reason that uh, superman was the uh, the the first big budget hollywood movie of one of these characters and you know he had he's the granddaddy of them all you know the i mean supposedly man of tomorrow man of steel most popular character and all that but not so much and you know which is another reason why you, you sort of retcon and do stuff I will
3: say that the retcon is one of the things that hurt Superman the most within the popularity of, of America along with changing ideas about like who we can trust
2: do you so when I think of Superman to me he is sort of DC's Captain America in the way of you know he's representing um a, Americana and the to do what is right and to find the moral action and do the right thing and he's always been that way to me now granted I have I will say I have not read nearly as many comics as you have I've probably played a lot more Final Fantasy than you have I don't (laughs) know I don't uh, know uh, um, but do you think that part of the new focus on Batman is necessarily Superman being hurt by retcons or the values that we have as a culture shifting a little bit away um, mm-hmm. and saying, you know, mm-hmm. well, like you said, that trust thing. Do we not trust the good old boy? The Do we trust something that's a little darker? Does that seem a little more real? Do we trust somebody who seems to have more overt flaws?
0: Damn, girl, you hitting it. <laughs> no, <laughs> you those,
3: <laughs> I would say those changes... Um, within the uh, American mindscape in regards to what our morals and ideas and who we trust affected how people chose to write and change Superman. Mm. So when Mm -hmm. I say it's the retcon's fault, it's because of certain creators who, let's be honest, were classic Marvel creators and the Marvel idea of superheroes are people or heroes with feet of clay. And this is the world outside your window. Whereas classically DC is, nah, man, this is DC Comics. This is something you aspire to be. Mm. So when John Byrne changed Superman, he made some changes to Superman that made him more of a Marvel-like character. And if you make Superman more of a Marvel-like character, how can you compete against the Marvel heroes at their own thing? Um, mm. LeBron James can't play like Michael Jordan. That don't work. Uh, he has to play like you know himself. Um, Frank Miller also did a disservice of Superman and how he chose to characterize him within the popular stories, which is Dark Knight Returns. He made him a tool of the government. This is Um, post-Nixon. Post-Nixon, we lose a trust and our faith in the state, and it kept going on throughout Reagan, and then you have him a tool of Reagan. So for a lot of people, that's a turnoff. So you get to this point Mm. where slowly but surely... Superman falls to popularity and the whole thing like oh he's too powerful he's boring Batman though yo he a dude mm. he's a rich guy but he out there in them streets he's fighting crime so that retcon that Miller did to Batman with also within the 80's completely changed our idea of who and what Batman is almost at points to a detriment but the beautiful thing about Batman is that he had other people that had just as much cultural and creative like um, impressions on people. Tim Burton's Batman It's not Frank Miller's Batman. Um, Batman the anime series literally changed people's idea for Batman for a whole generation. <laughs> and it's probably a more perfect version of it that all the other Batman kind of pull themselves off of now versus Frank Miller's Batman. Which is still is important Batman, but you know that's what I think in terms of the ideas of ret- retcons and rebooting and how it
0: affects the character mm. well I got it queued up this time <laughs> <laughs> I got that queued up that was another uh, I, I I love. Everything you said. The only thing I'm going to disagree with you about there is in terms of the way that you characterized uh, what the, what the Marvel characters are. My, in my opinion this is cool about words.
3: I'm not. I'm not even making. This is what they say.
0: Well, <laughs> I, I wouldn't say so much. I, when I think of characters with feet of clay, I think of the Watchmen heroes. You know, I mean, because feet of clay that, that 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 implies a certain thing. The Marvel characters are are human okay in the sense that they they not as flawed as feet of clay would tend to indicate but with nuances and subtleties and not perfect but you know that feet the, at least for me the implication behind saying somebody has feet of clay you know it's like they're falling short the marvel heroes don't fall short of heroism, but they they continually have to strive. They put work into it. In fact, one of the uh, better examples, I thought, of of, of what the Marvel heroes are, it was in an early issue of Luke Cage, Hero for Hire. And uh, a character named uh, Senor Suerte, who was also Senor Muerte, uh, had uh, Cage chained up in a drainage tunnel over by the East River. And uh, as the tide came in, tunnel was going to fill up, and the idea was, "Oh, Cage, you're going to drown." So, um, and clearly, he had disposed of people like this before. I mean, there was a nice, uh, well-oiled chain and uh, an anchor down there, and uh, so the tunnel starts filling up. And Cage, well, he's strong, but he's got to break this chain and get up out of there. And uh, the the personal struggle as he was trying to do this and uh, one of the things that he thought is like man You know when you read about spider-man and the fantastic four and the daily bugle all you hear about is they won You never thought about the crap they took getting to the Winter circle and I was like dang, you know, and then, you know and he goes through all this stuff finally before he's able to break the chain and get out but but there is there's this heroic struggle that takes place, that uh, it was dramatized very effectively versus what, I mean, I'm not saying there's no struggle in the DC universe, I mean, you know, they go through some stuff, but the way that this was depicted specifically uh, emphasized, I'm going to get dirty, I'm going to get wet, this is going to be hard, I'm going to be cut up and bruised, and, you know, this is no easy path to victory, you know, And, and that's more what I think about so you know every yes everything except that Peter clay thing you know and I you're gonna have to show me where they said that <laughs> <laughs> it's a,
3: it's a interviews and stuff it's, I don't even know but mm-hmm.
0: I was
1: gonna say what's interesting you know we're all talking about uh, iterations of these characters that have spoken the most to us and, and, it, and I think that's what it comes down to is you know who writes this character or who has their influence on, on a particular character at a time because like thinking back on some uh, give you an example um, Superman, what is it, guys, Superman Returns. Um, that film, going back to what I was commenting on before about a uh, what we call like a requel, in some, in in that regard, it's, it is a good example of that because if you're thinking of what they did with that storyline, they basically erased Superman 3 and Superman, what, Superman 3 and Superman 4, and continued the story from superman too, because for brian singer you know that was his you know growing up that was what his his idea of what superman um was and and that could probably speak to why it wasn't as accepted by as many people because you know it was it, it was a superman of another time versus you know the time in which it was um uh, release, so that's why it's going to be interesting. There, there are a couple other films, um, some that are out now. Actually, Halloween is a is a good example of, of a requel as well, where they've you know erased a lot of prior installments and have basically continued it from story uh, from from the first original film. But there are some films that are currently in production now. That it'll be interesting to see what. What they uh, do with it? I know that they have a, a Terminator film coming out, which mm-hmm. is supposed to be continued directly from, from what I understand, uh, the second Terminator. And they're basically going to erase three and four. Um, I hope they're able to do something with that because I'm kind of, I'm kind of tapped out of Terminator. And don't get <laughs> me wrong, I love, <laughs> I love that franchise, but at this point, I'm really tapped out. Um, I'll be honest. And then. I know that they were also planning on doing that, which I'm kind of bummed about. Uh, they were going to do that with the Alien film. Hopefully, we still get that interpretation. Neil Blomkamp uh, from uh, District Nine was going to do a, a Alien film continuing from uh, alien, Jane, Jane Cameron's Aliens, and basically. Um, erasing, you know, um, Alien 3 and Resurrection and bringing back Nude and bringing back uh, Hicks, which would be awesome. So uh, only time will tell. Uh, we shall see.
2: I think one of the things that particularly annoys me about retcons, and I mean, I say this as when Yuli called me and asked me if I was interested, I think I responded. Very loudly. I love retcons because I think that they can add a lot to a series or to a game or to, you know, whatever, a a particular media franchise. But I think what really bothers me, too, is when the retcon is treated as though, oh, you just didn't understand. Not necessarily you personally who's holding the book didn't understand, but you, the audience, or, oh, the characters that you interacted with didn't actually understand what was happening, and that's not actually real. Uh, And, I mean, I am no Kingdom Hearts scholar by any means, (laughs) but, you know, that's a great example, right? Kingdom Hearts 1 was, it was a self... a a self-sufficient game, it was self-enclosed, it was the one thing that it was. And the main bad guys that you fight against are called the heartless, these little you know these little shadow guys that pop up out of the ground and supposedly they have no hearts. And then in another game they come back and say actually the heartless are the hearts. The heartless are the hearts. And they're the hearts from these other bad guys called nobodies that nobody has heard of before. Get it? You just didn't understand, and neither did anyone else in the universe who was telling you what was going on. And to me, that's a little bit insulting to your um, to the consumer of your media to say, "Oh, silly you! You just didn't get it."
0: Mm. Hey, you know, before we run out of time, there were two other. I, I can't do a show about retcons without talking about two situations. One is the character uh, who got retconned hate, hate say Jessica hate. Jones Yes Jessica Jones you yeah, right <laughs> Jessica Jones Jewel you know, I know oh, you have a great I know you have a great all along I'm like what what are you talking about and and, and that. she is such a big character now uh in the comic books and in in the uh TV series I just have to mention that The other one that bothers me uh is the Board Queen Now the Board this didn't bother me at first okay No no and and let me tell you something I love the whole idea of the Borg Queen, but it,
2: it does but, explain a lot.
0: Yeah, but but it but it also creates all these questions because uh-huh. the idea was the Borg were this collective. Thing. You know, they didn't have one single leader. And then all mm-hmm. of a sudden, wait, now we find out they've actually got a leader. <laughs> There's this Unimatrix One that's actually directing. I thought they didn't have a single leader. I thought their strength was in, you know, the whole uh, thing being... Yeah, exactly, the hive mind thing. So, um, and then the the tricky little way they retconned that in um, uh, Star Trek uh, First Contact, where, you know, Picard is like, Oh, I remember you. You were there all along. You were trying to make me do... I fought you. I'm like, they had you. You were totally assimilated. What's all this? I fought you. I was... A lot of questions. A
2: lot of questions. Yeah, that's kind of such an awkward thing too because you can see where they're going to say you know it's all a collective but there's one queen they're all acting together but there's still one person you know pulling the puppet strings or or i think they they worked really hard to when when they added her they worked really hard to create the beehive the bee colony sensation Mm -hmm. around her and i think that's that's the way that they were able to get away with it
0: Mm. that makes sense they use
3: nature so Mm -hmm. once that happened i was like this makes sense because if you're going to make them like bugs, then mm-hmm. they should have a queen just like ants or, or bees do.
2: And if you think about the, the sound of when you would hear the collective talking, it does kind of sound like yeah. buzzing.
3: That went on a little bit too long with the whole her being like Captain Janeway's main, main foe uh, toward the end. I was like, oh, okay. All for seven to nine souls. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah but she doesn't
2: uh, no if they are if they're supposed to be bees or ants or what have you they cannot and and the whole point of borgs is that they don't care about losing the individual yeah. it doesn't matter
0: even with bugs they'll just make a new
3: queen
2: yeah mm-hmm.
0: yeah not supposed to anyway look um that is just about all the time that we have for this episode um but uh I, I just want to give everybody a chance to sort of plug their stuff here. Uh, Julian, you um, are a tremendous illustrator, and
3: uh, yeah, you can follow mm-hmm. me on all social media. Julian Lytle, L Y T L E. I have a podcast at ignorant blisscom and you can find all podcast sites. And
0: yeah, that's that's. That's the main things for me. Mm-hmm. There you go. And Brandon Troy, Movers uh, and Shakers. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. You can follow me on Twitter, uh, Brandon Troy, ENT. Uh, Instagram, same thing, Brandon Troy, underscore, ENT. And also on uh, on Facebook, Movers and Shakers. You can find them uh, on all those media as well.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: Han Pan.
2: I guess you could call me a, a semi-retired cosplayer, but you can find me on Facebook at uh, Han Pan or Han Pan Costumes and Curiosities. It's my Facebook page. And, um basically planning a wedding right now, so you'll just see mostly (laughs) wedding stuff.
0: (laughs) (laughs) There you go. All right, and of course, Fantastic Forum is also a television show. If you're in the Arlington, Virginia area, Uh, you can catch it tonight at 8 p.m. or tomorrow at 8 p.m. on Arlington Independent Media, Comcast, channel uh, 69, Verizon Fios channel 38. Also visit the website at fantasticforum.tv. Uh, this program reairs on Wednesday afternoons at 3 p.m., so if you miss any portion of it, you can always come back there and uh, tune in again next week. Same bat time, same bat station, and uh, enjoy the rest of your weekend.